0: All right, good morning, Mercy Road. I'm so glad that you are present with us, even though you're not present with us, but wherever you're watching this, from your living room, your kitchen, your bedroom, I am just so grateful to be with you. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Davey, and uh, I'm gonna be talking in week two now of uh, Underground Jesus, this series that we decided to do. I think it's so appropriate for the season that we're in because uh, Underground Jesus is the series that as a church we do every single year without without fail, and it's the only series we do every single year because we want to get back to the essence of why this church, Mercy Road, started, and most importantly, why did the church, why did the big C church, why was it established, why did Jesus send the church or this organization, this movement of people on a mission, and we want to get back to the essence of that. I want to, I want to start out with a, a passage of Scripture. We're going to kind of bring some text, and then we'll bring some context to the text. I think it's very important to uh, make sure that we're not just looking at text, but that we understand where uh, this, this context came from so we, we can understand where we came from, so we can understand where we are now and where we're going as a group of people. And so this is the text, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start at the very end of Acts chapter 2, because Acts chapter 2 is a chapter that pretty much every pastor talks about when it comes to trying to get back to the essence of what the early church was meant to be about, and so what we should be about. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You can look at it on your Bible, or you can power up your device. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You see, the early church was experiencing some massive explosive growth, and I need you to understand that this explosive growth had little to do with the fact that they were gathered together. In fact, it had a lot more to do with with what happened when they went out, when they scattered away from each other, and and what they carried with them when they did so. I've been thinking about in this whole like quarantine, stay at home, COVID-19 crisis that's going on. Uh, I've been seeing on Instagram so many different people with a lot of different masks and uh, seeing a, a lot of the creativity that's going on with with the masks, and uh, this is, I actually brought my kids' masks. Somebody made two masks for my six-year-old and my five-year-old, and if you can see this, this has, uh, uh, it has Mickey Mouse and, and, and Goofy and Daffy Duck on it, and they loved it, they're walking around the house and they're, they're wearing it and stuff, and so we we're trying to explain to them why we wear masks. You see, you don't wear a mask during this time because, um, necessarily, because you're afraid of contracting the virus. The reason that we wear a mask right now is because you could potentially be a carrier of the virus and not know it. You could be carrying the virus and, and, and it not be evident externally at all with any symptoms. It's what we call an asymptomatic carrier. And as I was thinking about this, I, I started thinking about the church and the state of the church, especially in America. And I believe there are so many Christians, people who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who have had a, a salvation experience, who, who are asymptomatic carriers of the presence of God of the Spirit of God. In in other words, what I mean is that you've you've received what Jesus did for you on the cross, you've you've received the forgiveness of sins, and therefore, we're going to talk about here in a second, that means you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of you. However, it is not evident on the outside. And I think sometimes when we talk about this, this underground Jesus movement, we can mistake it to think that what we mean by underground is we mean hidden, or discreet, or covert, or undetected. And that's not at all what we mean by underground Jesus. You see, the movement of Jesus was not hidden. It was not undetected. It was very, very evident because when you carry the spirit of God with you, it cannot remain hidden. Unfortunately, there's so many people who are walking around as professed Christians and nobody would know it on the outside. And I just wonder, I wonder today as you're sitting there, I wonder if as a carrier of the Spirit of God, do people know? Can people tell? Is it evident or are you an asymptomatic carrier of the Spirit of God? You see, with the people in Acts, we're going to find out in a second, they experienced the Spirit of God for the very first time. It it was made accessible to everybody, and it completely transformed everything that they did, everything that they were about. It was not hidden. It was not undetected. It was very, very apparent, and it played out in their lives in a couple of different things. We just saw it. They devoted themselves to the teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship of with each other but they also devoted themselves to breaking of bread together and listen listen selling off possessions and giving to everybody as they had need You see, it had little to do with them gathering in a place and worshiping and listening to God's word. That was very important, but that was just the tip of the iceberg. What we mean by this underground Jesus movement is that there is an underbelly of an iceberg, a movement going on that is is, is not hidden, it is not undetected, it is very apparent, and it is the substance, it is the depth of who we are as a church and who the church should be, because when you carry the Spirit of God with you, friends, it changes everything. It transforms who you are and how you interact with other people. It transforms your motivations. It transforms your desires. And you become a a carrier of transformative power that changes the landscape of everything that is around you. That's what we want to talk about when we talk about this underground Jesus movement. And so I want to ask you, are you a carrier of this? Are you, listen to me, infected with the Holy Spirit Spirit? Of God, Because it will transform a few things. Let me give you a few things that I want you to write down that I believe um, happened to the early church that should happen to us and would transform the way we interact in this current crisis right now with our culture and with our society. The first thing you need to write down is this. We are carriers of the presence of God. We are carriers of the presence of God. I just read to you the very end of Acts chapter 2, but we've got to go to the beginning of Acts chapter 2 to understand the significance and what transformed everything about how they interacted with each other, and that is how they begin to interact with God. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, this is huge, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after, uh, th- at this time period, the resurrection, uh, and the, the, it was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus which took place three days after Jesus was crucified. It says the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Why were they all together in one place? Well, they were all together in one place because they were celebrating this Jewish festival known as Shavuot. We'll talk about that festival in just a second and the significance of it. But basically what that festival was is that everybody would gather to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest of the wheat The wheat harvest. There were two harvests in the springtime. There was the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. They were 50 days apart from each other. The barley harvest was the harvest of the common man. The wheat harvest was the finer grain uh, harvest. We'll talk about the significance of those and why it plays into this in just a second. But they're gathered there to celebrate this. And they're gathered together in one place is what it says. The other reason they're gathered together in one place is because this was the key or the formula to experiencing the presence of God. You see, up until this point, the presence of God did not come and and visit with people except in isolated circumstances. We see throughout the Old Testament leading up to this that there were a couple of circumstances the presence of God would visit people, namely uh, Elijah. The presence of God visited on Elijah, and, and some powerful things would happen. There were miracles that were performed when the presence of God was there, the anointing of God was there. He laid down on a boy, and the boy was raised back to life. He was able to, um, uh, to, to purify some, some uh, water with, with uh, throwing something in the water. There was some incredible experiences that happened. The presence of God re- uh, came upon and visited Samson. And, and when, when, it, when it visited Samson, then he was able to s- slaughter a thousand of God's enemies with the jawbone of a donkey. There was incredible power that happened that came along with the presence of God. But the everyday common man could not experience the presence of God up to this point. In fact... If the everyday common man were to approach the presence of God, it would immediately kill him. Because the presence of God was so furiously pure and clean and holy that our sinful humanity could not coexist with the presence of God. Because at the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, it fractured the universe and the sin curse began to to work its way through the, the universe and now we are born sinful and so we are separated from God because of our sin. We are separated from his holiness and we are separated from his presence and so, and so the presence of God would, if we were to approach it, it would absolutely incinerate us like we were to approach the, the son. It's not because God's wrathful or vengeful or mean, it's just because the very essence of who he is, the character and nature of God is so pure and clean that we cannot coexist with it. But all throughout history, God has always wanted his people to coexist with him. And so when he called the Israelite people together to make a nation, a name, a people for himself, he made a provision. He said, You know what? I want you to experience the presence of God because where the presence of God is, there is healing, there is power, there is freedom, and there is forgiveness of sins. And so what they did is they created this structure, this sacrificial sacrificial structure God handed down to the people and said, this is how you can experience forgiveness of sins and can bridge the gap between you and me. And so they created a tabernacle or a temple, and within that tabernacle there was a place called the Holy of Holies. I'm going to show you a, a, a picture of the Holy of Holies right here. The Holy of Holies was where the presence of God would exist And so before Acts chapter 2, everybody had to come to one place to experience the presence of God. They would come a few times a year with some festivals, and there was one particular festival uh, that there was a sacrifice made for the atonement or the forgiveness of all of the people. And so the high priest, one man, once a year, would go back behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies, and he would take the blood of the sacrifice of a bull and a lamb, and he would sprinkle that blood all over the Ark of the covenant. I'm going to show you a picture of the Ark of the Covenant right here as well. the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God actually existed, where it resided. This this is is where God's presence took up residence. And once a year, one man, the high priest, would go through all this ritualistic purification to go into the presence of God. Now, Now, Jewish tradition tells us, not necessarily the Bible, but Jewish tradition tells us, that the, the people were so afraid that when the high priest would go back into the curtain, that if he had not properly cleansed himself to stand in front of the presence of God, then God would, the presence of God would immediately kill him. So they would tie a rope around his ankles just in case, and they would put bells on his cloak so that they heard him fall and bells begin to clang. They knew that he had not properly purified himself, and he was struck dead in the presence of God, so they'd pull him out with a rope. So the presence of God was a very serious, serious thing because it was so, so powerful, and it had so many implications for so many things. And so so this was the case for centuries and centuries and centuries until this man Jesus came, the God-man, God-nabod. God sent his son Jesus because ultimately he had a plan to redeem mankind, to to provide once and for all forgiveness of sins. And Jesus began to walk the earth and he began to teach uh, about the kingdom of God. He began to perform miracles. And he began to talk to people about the the people of God, about the heart of God. He began to focus more in on God's heart behind some of the the, the laws that he had put in place. And and the people at the time were so focused on the laws and meeting the letter of the law, Jesus said, no, 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 no. it's more about the heart of God and the the, the people of God, that God has a heart for people and he wants relationship with people. And the religious leaders of the day, they didn't like it too much. It was stirring up all of the religious structures at the time. And, And so they arrested Jesus and they tried him illegally, and they, they slaughtered him on the cross. We just came out of a season where we celebrated the Holy Week. We celebrated Jesus going on the cross to provide the forgiveness of sins, to bridge the gap. Later, Hebrews would tell us that Jesus became the high priest, the mediator between us and God to make us right before God. And he did this by what he did for us on the cross, this, bu- this brutal murderer's death that he underwent. And it says in scripture that the moment that he breathed his last on the cross, the temple curtain tore in two. The veil was ripped open and now the presence of God was now accessible to every single person who would believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And, 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 And so now Jesus three days later raises from the dead visits the disciples and over 500 people for 40 days, ascends into heaven, tells the disciples, hey, listen, I need you to go and gather in one place because I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the presence of God into your midst so it will transform and change everything about not just who you are, but what you do. And I want to enact and start this movement called the church. And that's why, friends, they were all gathered together in one place. And this is what it tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. It says, Suddenly, while they're gathered in, in one place, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled look at this filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is an unbelievable scene. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to, of the overflow of this feeling, they began to share the good news of the kingdom of God with all these people from all these countries who had gathered here for this festival. And, and when they began to share in their own native language in, in Hebrew or Aramaic, the, the people who were from like Germany or people from like Turkey or people from like France or who had all gathered there, they could hear it in their own language. And they began to hear about the forgiveness of sins. And this thing that Jesus did for them on the cross, and that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the chosen one, he was the long-awaited one who who would make right everything in this world. And it says that they began to place their trust in Jesus. And now, the people, filled with the Holy Spirit, became carriers of the presence of God. Like, This has massive implications, friends, for you and I. This means the moment that we received the forgiveness of Jesus by what he did for us on the cross, scripture tells us the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside of us. Like, so no longer does it live in the Ark of the Covenant. No longer do we have to come to one place and gather together to experience the presence of God. Now, the presence of God goes with us. Now... We come to church and we gather together and we worship corporately and we hear God's word being preached and there is definitely this manifest presence that happens, God's presence inhabits the praise of his people. There's something powerful that takes place. But, but when we gather together, the, the church has not gathered. When we leave, the church has left the building. Because the Holy Spirit of God resides in each one of us and it, and it steps out into the world Monday through Saturday with us, which is why, friends, listen to me, this period in time, this history that we're li- this period of history that we're living in is so pivotal. Because although we may have a stay-at-home order, it cannot affect the impact that we can make as the church because we do not just attend church. We are the church because we are the temple because God's Spirit lives inside of us. This is powerful. We're carriers of God's presence. Come on. The only thing that I can really think of to parallel this would be like the movie Space Jam. We just showed this to my kids. Space Jam. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. You hit them high, hit them high, hit them high. Hit. I'll hit them low. Hit. Welcome to the Space Jam. Wave your hands and. Okay. I'm going to stop right now. That's just absolute My wife is going to be so embarrassed of me for doing that. You know what I'm talking about though? The plot line of this, you got these little aliens that all of a sudden these basketball stars from like the 90s, the really good one, you know, Charles Barkley, Muggsy Bogues, hello somebody, right? They step into these aliens, their talent gets infused into these aliens, and now these things are not puny you know, uh, 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 despondent, forlorn aliens, these, these aliens now become these powerful, ferocious beings who now see the court differently, who now have a different perspective. They have talent that they wouldn't otherwise have. They have gifts they wouldn't otherwise have. This is what happens, friends, when the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you and me. We have nothing good on our own that we can offer because of our humanity, but God's presence, His Spirit resides in us and we begin to see the world differently. We begin to have our eyes open to the things that God's eyes are open to and our heart's broken for the things that God's heart is broken for and and we become carriers of his presence. Let me ask you something. Are you a carrier of his presence? Have you received Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Has the Holy Spirit taken up residence inside of your heart? And listen to me, let me ask you another question. Are you asymptomatic? Like, is it evident is the presence of God evident coming out of you? You see, it's, it's seasons like this where we're under pressure, where we have uh, everything in our life completely upends, that you begin to see the things that are really inside of us surface. It's like sponge seasons of life. Like what, when life squeezes us, what comes out of us is what was already in us. And it's seasons like this, friends, where we as the church, as people who are carriers of the presence of God, have an opportunity to to let the presence of God flow from us as life is squeezing us. Are you you asymptomatic or is it evident? Not only were they carriers of the presence of God, but this also means that we are carriers of God's peace. We're carriers of God's peace. See, what happens when the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us is, is, is he gives us the peace of God. Yeah, oh my gosh, absolutely. Because of what we received because of what Jesus did for us on the cross when we believe and receive in him, there is now the peace with God. We are no longer enemies of God, as Scripture tells us, before we come to know Christ, before we receive what he did on the cross. We, are, we now have peace with God. But not only do we have peace with God, we also, because of the Spirit living inside of us, we have the peace of God, which means that no matter what circumstances come our way, no matter what chaos is going on outside of us, we can now have inner peace inside of us, a resolve to know that God has this, that whatever is over his head is still under whatever is over our head is still under his feet, and that he has control over this, and we can walk in tandem and in step with him in peace. We don't have to worry about what tomorrow holds. Because we know that God holds tomorrow. And that, that Spirit gives us this peace. You see, in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and begins to preach about this peace with God and, and how to be reconciled with God. And it's powerful message. You can go and read it yourself. But I want to read the response. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How powerful is it last week that we had so many people um, we heard of, and maybe a lot more, over 17 people that got baptized in their bathtub. How amazing is that? I mean, we're celebrating that with you guys, and we love seeing the hashtags, the bathtub baptisms. That was so awesome. And that's what happens here. He says, repent and be baptized. Turn to God and be baptized. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people, were added to their number that day. How amazing would it be to see 3,000 people come forward for an altar call? You preach the message, 3,000 people go, "I I need Jesus, I need to repent and be baptized. What an amazing, powerful movement of God. And it's because the presence of God was now sitting in these men to speak the word of God, which brought about the peace of God. Friends, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do know that God is in control, and he is for you, and he has this handled and you can walk through all of this circumstance this COVID-19 crisis you can walk in peace because of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you it transforms everything so we're not just carriers of the presence and we're not just carriers of the peace but we're also carriers of the purposes of God this means we're carriers of the purposes of God um, this whole crisis has kind of flipped a lot of our normal rhythms as a family. You see, um, prior to all of this, April and May, I had a lot of speaking engagements and some fun trips planned. Um, our family's revenue is based on speaking engagements. And so we get out and we try to speak and share our story and share the gospel, uh, as, uh, anywhere that will let us. And we had plans to go to California and, and, and all kinds of fun stuff. And then obviously this landlocked us, um, And so now I've been doing a lot of work out of the house and my kids are seeing me work and they're always asking, Daddy, why are you always working? Why are you always working? I try to turn it around to some spiritual thing. I'm like, "Uh, well, it's just like your heavenly father. Even when you don't see it, your heavenly father is always working. You know what I mean? And and it doesn't really work. So like, Dad, you're just a workaholic. You need to stop working. And so I realized this. I'm like, you know what? I need to take some time off. The first couple weeks we've been pivoting and adjusting as a ministry. We've been killing it. So let's take some time off. Let's spend a few days just doing some yard work and and inviting the kids into doing some yard work. So one, so they stop pest pest you know pestering us like, so so they'll come and like be busy and work with us. So I gave each of them a bucket and I was like, hey, let's you know pick up some weeds. Here's a competition, make everything a competition. It works. Here's competition. Whoever has the most weeds at the end of the day, you get uh, the most money. So we'll give you some allowance for picking up all these weeds. And they go around, they do all this, they pick up all the weeds, we have this fun family yard work day, it's fantastic. And afterwards, it was so cool, um, my son, he wrote me a note, and uh, man, it just like, it, it, it broke my heart. It says, to my dad from your son, dad, I, uh, I love you, and I love when you ask me to come to work with you, <laughs> and I love to build things with you. Man, I was, I looked at this, I was like, wow. Like it absolutely broke my heart. I started thinking about this. Wait a minute. This is God's heart. He has invited his people into partnership with him In the job, the role of us as believers who are carriers of God's spirit, of his presence, of his peace, we are now carriers of God's purposes. We are now every day going to work with daddy. I mean, guys, this has been the case for all of history. God has been looking for a people that he can invite to partner with him in making everything right in this world. God is a God of order, he's not a God of chaos. In fact, he loves to take chaos and turn it into order. From the very beginning of time when he he created Adam, even before creating Adam and Eve as man, he created everything in this world and he, he spoke that creation into existence with the word of God, the Logos, the spirit of God was hovering over the earth and prior to him speaking things into existence, it tells us, scripture tells us it was chaotic nothingness. I don't know how nothingness can be chaotic, but somehow scripture tells us it was chaotic nothingness and yet God began to speak and his spirit began to move. And that same spirit, friends, lives in me, and it lives in you. And by God's word, it began creating things. He created the plants, the animals, the planets, the skies, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that we see, and then he created man. And he invited man to create and to join with him in taking this chaotic nothingness that is our world and bringing it to order. And then Adam and Eve, they fell into temptation and decided to go their own way by eating of the fruit. And instead of them partnering with God in bringing things to order, they partnered with the enemy and they began to bring things to chaos. And this is why friends there's chaos in our world. From that moment sin fractured the universe and it led to this ever-increasing unraveling of our universe, which is why we have disease and famine and plague. It's why we have cancer. It's why we have death. It's because of sin. And since that moment, God has been inviting his people to join with him in setting things right. God has a purpose in this world. And his purpose is to take all the chaos and bring it to order and make things right again. But he doesn't want to just do it alone. He's asking and inviting us to partner with him. He started this with Abraham when he first called Abraham the father of our faith. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had father. Okay, I'm going I'm to stop singing, but it's going to be stuck in your head all day long. And he invited Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others and you can bring order to all of this. I'm going to make a nation out of you, a people out of you, and you're going to bring order to all of this. And then he did the same thing when he brought the people out of slavery in Egypt. And he brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. And he brought them to the mountain of God in Mount Sinai in, in Exodus. And he said, I want to invite you into a relationship with me and partnership with me. I want to invite you to come to work with daddy. And then, and, and then the terms of that covenant was brought down from the mountain. And it says that there was thunder. There was lightning. There was the presence of God that was brought down by Moses, the deliverer from Mount Sinai where God was inviting his people into this covenant to join with him in making and setting all things right. (laughs) Remember I told you at the beginning that in Acts chapter two, people were gathered together to celebrate Shavuot. Shavuot was the celebration of the bringing down of the law. It was the celebration where they were now entering into this partnership of, of this covenant with God. And God was... God was going to bless them to be a blessing to other people. Hmm. You see that first Shavuot on the Mount Sinai, it was um, 50 days after they walked through (laughs) in freedom. After they came up out of Egypt, there was the Passover, there was the walking through the Red Sea, and there was 50 days later Shavuot, the first coming of the law. And so for centuries they would celebrate this and celebrate this and celebrate this. And then Jesus came. In the last week of his life, what happened on their Passover celebration? He was crucified. And then the very very next Sunday after Passover, the Jews would always celebrate the barley harvest, which was the crossing through the Red Sea. What happened the Sunday after Jesus was crucified? He was risen from the dead. And then 50 days later, they're gathered together, and this time, in celebrating Shavuot, the law doesn't come down. The Spirit of God comes down. You see, the law always points to us, our, our humanity and our sinfulness. It shows us that we, we need a Savior. We need the Spirit of God to come and do something powerful inside of us to, to change us, transform us. Because of the presence, the power, of the presence of God, and the the law that came down, there were actually 3,000 people that were killed the day that Moses brought the law down on the mountain because, because of their sin, the punishment from their sin. But how many people did I tell you were brought to new life the day the Holy Spirit came down? <laughs> Centuries later on that same celebration, oh, 3,000 people. This beautiful redemptive process where God once again Calls a people together to say, "Hey, I want you to partner with me." Now, the last thing I want to close with is: um, you have to understand the essence of this partnership. All of that was context to show you the essence of this. Because when when they would celebrate, the Jewish people would celebrate the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. These two spring harvests that kind of bookended their spring and summer. The barley harvest and the wheat harvest were celebrated in the first. The barley harvest was the harvest of the commoner's grain. like the, It was called the first fruits. And they would celebrate that, and then 50 days later, they would celebrate the wheat harvest. But what's powerful about the wheat harvest is the wheat harvest was a harvest where it was the fine grain, the elite grain, the abundance, the blessing that God brought to them, this um, high-level, expensive grain. But what God instructed them when they would harvest their grain is that they would leave the corners of their fields uncut. And they would leave it uncut for aliens and orphans and widows, strangers, outsiders, people who were not yet part of God's family, the oppressed, the marginalized, the impoverished, the poor, the the sick. They would leave their corners uncut. So they would leave the best parts of their field uncut. Come on, the corners are the best parts. You know, when you go to a wedding and you go to the cake, like I like the corner of the cake because it's got all the icing. That's the best part. And God said, hey, listen, I want you to leave the corners uncut because friends, I need you to understand that when you're coming into a partnership with me, God says, you are giving your best out of the abundance of what i give you out of the blessing that i bless you you are giving it to those who are the least of these who are hurting who are marginalized who are poor who are destitute who are struggling who are oppressed huh. guys that that's what's so profound about acts 242 that's why acts 245 says that they sold all of their possessions and gave to everyone who had need. Guys, this is the underbelly of the movement of God. It's not, it's not just about gathering together and getting stirred up and, and hearing God's word and, man, getting excited about it and worshiping and, wow, that's awesome, so that we can check off a box and say we're a good Christian, It's so important to gather together. It's so important to hear God's word. But if it doesn't affect everything we do and how we interact with people and how we love people and care for the least of these, we've missed it. We've missed the movement of God. We've missed the underground Jesus movement. And I just wonder, are are you a carrier of God's purposes? Right now in this crisis, are you thinking, how can I help those who are in need? Uh, is your sight set off of your own self and, and, and looking at other people and going, okay, how can I respond? How can I respond? How can I respond? How can I respond to those who are in need rather than just worrying about self-preservation and, and, and getting, getting into kind of my own needs in this time? You see, the people of God throughout history who have been a part of the movement of God have always been marked by responding to the needs of the least of these. And this is what I believe God is calling us to do. I believe that he is allowing this to happen, friends, so that we can get back to the essence of what and who the church really is. That we are a movement of Jesus' people responding with the Jesus' purposes. Let me give you a couple practical things right here as we close. Um, you see, when, when all this hit, my wife and I learned of a, a widow who... Um, contracted COVID-19 and she lost her job because of it or she was furloughed because of it. She had to stay at home and she's a single mom and she had no way of providing for her family. So some friends of, of ours, we, we got together. We said, how can we help? So we decided to buy um, groceries for her, buy some gift cards of some some needs and essentials that she would need and uh, pay for her rent. I don't, I don't say this braggadociously. What I'm saying though is I believe this, when people gather together and decide to respond to the needs of people they see around, this is the essence of the church. Listen, friends, we've got to stop waiting for the government to hand out stimulus packages to to bring this chaos back to order, okay? Fantastic that they are, but can I tell you something? The church, if the church stepped up, if the church responded, if the church did what the church was designed to do, the government wouldn't have to because everyone would have their needs met by you, by me. So we have some vehicles here at Mercy Road Church that you can partner with us in to respond in this way. The first one is our outposts. These are um, small uh, groups of missional movements that are responding to needs as God brings them to, to their mind. And friends, we even have allocated funds, benevolence funds, grant money that can be given to those who start outposts, who have outposts, so that you can go and respond to the needs of our community. You see, for so long, people have been waiting for the church as the leadership or corporate to respond to things, and I'm telling you, listen, friends, you are the church. I am the church. We, together, collectively, we are the church. We don't have to wait to be able to gather together in a building for life change to happen. You can do it now. Start an outpost. Apply for some of this grant money. Respond to the needs right there in your community. And then... We also have huddles. These are discipleship communities where you can learn and grow together. You can fellowship together just as the disciples did and the apostles did and the early Christians did in Acts chapter two, where you can grow together and you can respond to the needs of each other. We also have a uh, COVID-19 relief fund where you can give to that. Whereas we, as as the leadership of Mercy Road, we see um, different needs popping up. We can allocate things to that. And then also, finally, uh, we have a merchandise store where all the proceeds of that go to COVID-19 relief. This is our opportunity, friends, to be the church right now. Come on, the church is not a gathering, a building. It's not a renting out a facility. The church exists and lives in you and in me. And we are the church. And now, friends, is our time to respond. Can we pray together? Jesus, we just thank you so much for all that you're doing in our midst, in our church. And I pray right now that you would help us understand how to be the church, how to respond to needs, how to, how to adopt your heart, your heart that you have always had forever. And that's the to see people come into relationship with you and see people who are the least of these have their needs met. To help the marginalized and the oppressed and the poor and the destitute. And those who are being affected by this, the sick and the hungry Lord, I pray that you would show us, open our eyes to these opportunities so that we so that we can respond and be your church, your ambassadors, your partners in this mission. We want to, we want to go to work with you, daddy. We want to go to work with you. We love you.